This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. One of the things that I've noticed that I may have tendency to do on this program is point out problems and then ask the question, why? Even though neither you nor I really have any idea why. I'm going to do that again, though, because I suspect some of you have some theories on this, and I'm going to give you mine. I read this article in the New York Times. I don't know what happens. You know, I'm a digital subscriber to the New York Times, and they send me, you know, a daily newsletter, and sometimes they'll highlight articles that are a couple of months old. That was the case with this article, and then it led me down a rabbit hole of researching this. And essentially, puberty is starting earlier than it used to, especially noticeable for girls. And the question is, why? So, New York Times writes that some girls are beginning puberty as early as six or seven years old, an age that has dropped by about three months per decade since the 1970s. Now, based on all the researchers that the New York Times spoke to, no one knows exactly what is driving the trend. But it absolutely is a trend. Marsha Herman Giddens first realized something was changing in young girls in the late 80s when she was serving as the director for the child abuse team at Duke University Medical Center. And during evaluations of girls who had unfortunately been abused, I can't even think about stuff like this, you know. Dr. Herman Giddens noticed that many of them had started developing breasts at ages as young as six or seven. She said that didn't seem right. So a decade later, she published a study of more than 17,000 girls who underwent physical examinations at pediatricians' offices across the country. And the numbers revealed that on average, girls in the mid-90s had started to develop breasts, which is usually the first sign of puberty, around age 10. That's more than a year earlier than previously recorded. The decline, meaning the reduction in age, the decline was even more striking in black girls who had begun developing breasts on average at age nine. Nine. The medical community was shocked by these findings, and a lot of them were doubtful about this dramatic new trend spotted by someone who was relatively unknown. At the time, they were totally blindsided. But the study turned out to be a watershed in the medical understanding of puberty. Studies in the decades since have confirmed in dozens of countries that the age of puberty in girls has dropped by about three months per decade since the 1970s. Now, there is a similar pattern that is visible, although it's less extreme, in boys. So it's difficult to determine cause and effect, they say, because earlier puberty may have harmful impacts, especially for girls. Girls who go through puberty early are at higher risk of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, 
other psychological problems compared with peers who hit puberty a bit later. Girls who get their periods earlier are also potentially at a higher risk of developing breast or uterine cancer in adulthood. So no one knows what risk factor is driving the age decline or why there are such differences among race or or gender. They do say obesity seems to be playing a role, but they say that can't fully explain it. One of the people who says fat, body fat, is part of the reason of what goes on here is uh, Andrew Huberman. Here he was, I believe, in an interview with NBC News. We know that one of the things that can trigger the onset of puberty, in particular in females, is that when enough body fat accumulates, that body fat releases a hormone called leptin. And that hormone leptin travels in the bloodstream across the blood-brain barrier and goes to the hypothalamus and can trigger the onset of puberty by activating the neurons that release gonadotropin-releasing hormone. So many people believe that one of the reasons that puberty is happening earlier and earlier in females is because of the accumulation of more body fat at younger ages than was observed 30 or 40 and certainly 100 years ago. So that's one factor, one theory, obesity, body fat. The first thing that I thought of when I saw this, and, you know, this was my initial reaction to it and still what I believe is the primary factor. I believe there are there are too many chemicals in food. Not just food, but everything else, but especially food. The, the, everything that you eat is pumped with all these hormones and chemicals and preservatives. And I have to think that that's playing a role on all of our bodies, but especially the bodies of children. So in the Times article on this, they address this, the issue of chemicals. In the decade after the Herman Giddens study, they began noticing an increase in the number of referrals for early puberty in Copenhagen, mostly of girls who were developing breasts at seven or eight years old. And uh, someone named Dr. Jewell said, is this a real phenomenon? Had parents and doctors just become hysterical because of the news coverage of that other study? So in a 2009 study of nearly 1,000 school-age girls in Copenhagen, his team, Dr. Jules' team, found that the average age of breast development had dropped by a year since his earlier study to a little under 10, with most girls ranging from 7 to 12. Girls were also getting their periods earlier, around age 13, about four months earlier than what had been reported previously. But unlike doctors in the U.S., He didn't think obesity was to blame because the body mass index of the Danish children in that study was no different than it had been in the 1990s. So while American children had gotten much fatter from the 1990s to the to 2010, 2009, 2010, that wasn't the case in Denmark. And yet in Denmark, they were still experiencing this early onset, what I'll call early onset puberty. So he believes that uh, phthalates, phthalates, which belong to a broader class of chemicals called endocrine disruptors, can affect the behavior of hormones, and they've become ubiquitous in the environment over the past several decades. 
And, I mean, they say the evidence that they're driving earlier puberty is murky. I, I Look, I don't have any evidence beyond what Dr. Jewell has suggested. But that's I think it's very likely. I'm curious what you think. Why do you think children are starting puberty earlier? 800-848-9222. And um, do you share the scientific consensus? And I think Dr. Peter Mikolos is going to be on this program this week. I'll ask him about that if he is. Do you share the scientific consensus that this is a negative? Because I think this is very alarming that we're essentially changing years of the natural order of human if you want to call it evolution, but the natural order of human development. Some people may point to stress and lifestyle. I'm not so sure on that. My best guess is the chemicals, but I just wonder where we go on this. How much does this continue? Do these trends of a couple of months every decade or three months every decade, are they going to continue to go that way for how long? I mean, I have to think that's going to be a pretty alarming situation if a a decade, two decades from now, this is happening to five-year-old girls. It's not out of the question here. 800-848-9222. Curious what you think or if you have a theory as to what is going on here. Some people think, I don't want to alarm anybody because some people, well, I, I do but I don't want to alarm you needlessly because some experts think that the age of threshold for alarm uh, should be lowered. They said healthy children could be referred to specialists and undergo unnecessary medical procedures if their parents are flipping out that they've hit puberty at a younger age. I'm curious what you think. I- I'm not necessarily talking about what you should do if this happens to you, but I really think this is something that requires greater awareness among society in general, and more than just awareness about how to deal with your children um, if they're five years old and developing breasts, I'm curious what the cause of this is, because I think that's worth figuring out. 800-848-9222. Mary is in New Jersey. Hi, Mary. Hi. uh, Hi, Frank. I was wondering... um whether this is actually a reverse trend because people used to have much shorter lifespans like back in the middle ages and everything and is it possible that in the past century or so that puberty had begun later and that now it's going maybe going back for some reason to where it used to be well, that's a good question. I mean, uh, I don't know, right? I don't know. I, I don't know yeah. what the. Uh, obviously, I don't know. But beyond what's been reported in um, in these studies, that they say that the uh, the average age for girls experiencing the onset of puberty has dropped about three months every decade over the last forty years. 
I don't know how consistent prior to 40 years ago that age of puberty was, or even if there's an accurate measurement of it. It's a good question uh, because, um, you know, I, I, I don't have an answer there. But I'm also wondering, Mary, what the story is with the racial disparity here. Why would black children be experiencing this at such an earlier rate than than white children? Yeah, you know, I I don't know, but you know, maybe I was I I was thinking that uh um considering all the different areas of the world that everybody has originated mm-hmm. from, maybe that has maybe that has to do with it. Maybe it's genetic. Yeah, as I you said, know, Mary, I mean the susceptibility. To right. It. Right. Well, as I said, Mary, look, there's no way we're going to be able to answer this tonight because, or this morning because some of the brightest minds in all of medicine are are looking at this, right? They haven't been able to figure out and come to a, a consensus on what the uh, factor or factors are here. I don't know that we're going to be able to, but I'm curious what your thoughts are because I think this is a big cause for concern. 800-848-9222, because one of the other things, and this is not a medical thing necessarily, but it is a cultural thing, is children, especially girls, children entering puberty earlier than average. You can be treated as older by society and really inappropriately sexualized by society. I mean, there are, uh, there's um, Miss Teen New Jersey, Miss Teen um, Rhode Island. And if you're, let's say, 13 years old, competing against other teenagers in a beauty pageant, and you're more fully developed than many of the other 13-year-olds, I mean, I think that might lead to a difference in who society chooses to venerate as a 13-year-old model. And look, there are children's... Uh, there are children actors, right? There are children, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, that are actors on in television shows and on movies. So are we going to start seeing people that are casting these films picking the ones that are more fully developed than what we've seen as being the norm for children for the last 40 years? I think that's all something we need to consider. And as I said, the, the main aspect of this, though, is the studies that suggest that early puberty is linked to depression, anxiety, and some people even say the development of eating disorders. And, believe it or not, believe it or not, this may seem counterintuitive, but they say that early puberty can also keep children from growing to their full height because growth plates normally close towards the end of puberty. So uh, Dr. Aviva Sofer, professor of pediatrics at Columbia, um, she said, sometimes when kids go through puberty early, their bone age advances very quickly, and they don't necessarily get as tall as they would had they went through what we would consider the, the norm in terms of puberty. 800-848-9222. Roy is in Cincinnati. Hi, Roy. Hey, what's happening? Hey, uh, I always heard that it has to, because I, I, I was a teenager in the 70s, I always heard it had to do with better nutrition. And people were experiencing, noticing that back in the 70s. Like uh, like Jody Foster, 
I think she did that one taxi driver. She, I think she's about 12. You can tell she's got to develop. She's about 12 years old. And uh, I, the other thing could be now you got your you got people that are getting getting pregnant at nine, 10 years old. Right. You know, right. I, I didn't realize. Uh, yeah, I, I get that. I, I didn't realize you were on already. I just a lot of people are trying to get on. I want to give some other people uh, a, a chance to be heard before we start giving people the opportunity to call in twice within the same uh, same program. David is in the Bronx. David, what, what do you think about all of this? Yes. Good morning. Okay. Yeah. This is something I've actually been uh, doing some research on recently. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the plastics that are we're consuming because I, I don't know if you're aware of this. There was a report recently. It might have been in the Times about how a, a, a bottle of water contains millions of particles. Right. Of no, I, I mentioned this on Monday. It's very oh, frightening. Okay. Yeah, and we know that microplastics and plastics in general give off chemicals that are very similar to estrogens. Okay. That's been increasing in the past 40 years, the use of plastic in our food uh, containers and everything else. The other thing is highly processed foods, high fructose corn syrup. There's a long list of things that I think are contributing to this. And you're right. It is scary because breast cancer in particular can be triggered by having a longer exposure to estrogen. So the reason we're seeing a lot of, of I think, the increase in breast cancer in younger women could be related to this. So this is something we really need to look at. It's not harmless. For sure. And unless we're willing to tackle the the industrial food business, which is behind so many of our problems, uh, this is going to become a bigger issue. And as far as black girls are concerned, black girls in particular have a a larger prevalence of obesity. That's just a fact. And fat, as you said earlier, also is biologically active and gives off chemicals very similar to estrogen. So that would explain it in black girls. But this is a worldwide problem. And again, it's the American diet that's being exported to every corner of the globe that I think is driving it everywhere. So even even though um, in Denmark, for instance, where the girls that they studied there don't have a, a higher prevalence of obesity than uh, children that they had studied a couple decades before, you think that not only is obesity a cause, but but as I indicated, the chemicals that are in all the food these days, that that's a cause? Oh, definitely. If you look at the Denmark, for instance, you will find highly processed foods just as much as in the United States. You will also find uh, plastic use just as much as, as in the United States. So it, you have to look at the factors that are appearing in more than one place. And if it's not obesity, which I do think has at least to do with it with black girls, it would be the other factors, the plastics and mm-hmm. the highly processed foods. Yeah, and, I buy and the that. sugar and everything else. I absolutely you, buy that. Thanks, David. 800-848-9222. Frank is in uh, Atlantic Highlands. Hi, Frank. Yeah, Frank. Um, as far as, uh, I mean, we're, we're evolving as human beings, and it's not a, a bad thing necessarily. I think 11-year-olds are going to rule the world someday. Um, but in any case, um, why you're uh, why you're so much uh, so successful and, and so much love, and um, please don't hang up on me until I ask you a question about economics. Why um, the, the why is is because you're pure independent, and um, and you are so effective because uh, you point out how history has not worked at all you near know, the capacity of of effective solutions. And for the sake of humanity, 
what's funny, it's not going to matter who votes so much. Of course, the influence to the voters would come from the fact that we're getting smarter from our younger from our younger youth that that also will teach us. Mm-hmm. Am I still on? Yeah, Frank, um, I, I'm waiting okay. for your question. Okay, and so the question it, it'll become um, more clear. Um, I point out history has not worked. Okay, um, so humanity's voice will be so respected. At first, only eighty percent of us will ignite. It'll be our sentiments that will actually um, represent the people. People, and when you really study, if you study history at all. Uh, American history, uh, with this uh, revolution that becomes humanity's voice, um, um, is is ab- absolutely the virtues uh, of, of of our country. All right, Frank. Of the uh, United States. All right. So anyway, my question about economics is, um, I just want to point out that. Um, like, uh, Frank, I'm, I'm sorry. A, I got to run. I, I, I've, I've given you a lot of leeway here, but uh, again, a lot of folks eager to uh, chat. And uh, in just a few minutes, we're going to talk with uh, Jim McCann from 1-800-Flowers about some positive stuff. He uh, came out with his newsletter and has some great suggestions for people that might be having a difficult time with uh, their New Year's resolutions and uh, things of that nature and really kind of staying positive in the month of January and in winter when a lot of folks are experiencing things like seasonal affective disorder. 800-848-9222. Franny is in the Queens. Hi, Franny. Hi, um, I I want to just say that I think the um, young age for the young girls to be developed is because of the food that we consume, which is contaminated by the antibiotics that they put in chickens to make them bigger, and um, the seeds that we that they or that um, they just put out, or uh, GMO, and, and I mean it's just just all has to do with our food and the toxic substances that are supposed to help us, but they're really not helping us if we just like let us have organic food at a reasonable price, but they don't, you know. I completely agree with you, Frenny, and that does sort of factor in to why black children might be experiencing this more, because they might be a little less likely uh, to come from families, just for socioeconomic reasons, where they spend a couple of extra bucks to buy organic or to buy non-GMO or things of that nature. I think so. I think so. They're most, you know... A lot of us now, I mean, even, uh, I mean, seniors, we, we live in, uh, you know, food deserts, right? I mean, there's a, yeah, you know, there's nothing that we could go to the store and buy because uh, it's a bodega on the corner that's supplying us, you know, different things. I mean, you know, I'd rather eat a bag of potato chips, but you know what? <laughs> and now I know why everybody's getting canceled. Besides the electric wires that they put out. Mm-hmm. Over our heads every day. Well, so you know, that's an interesting point that you raise, right? Because 40 years ago, 50 years ago, there were none of these 5G, 6G cell phone towers that everybody, you know, that, that everybody tells us, all the so called experts tell us are safe but are pulsating with electromagnetic energy. Uh, you think that might be a factor? Oh, definitely. I mean, and so many buildings have it. So that right. they could get another source of income. I mean, oh, even the churches. Absolutely. The churches have giant towers on them. Yeah, schools I mean, too. They, yeah. 
Schools right? too. I mean, Alex is Unger. Well, thanks, Frank, and I appreciate your uh, your program very much. I'm always interested in what you have to say. Well, that's nice Thank of you, you, Franny. Thank you. I appreciate you calling. I hope you'll uh, call frequently. Thank you. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Uh, Robert in Suffolk is uh, calling in. Now, Robert, you did not get your full 15 seconds on 15 Seconds of Fame. Uh, apparently, I think that was an error on the part of one of the guys in the control room. But uh, you then threatened to report me to management. Uh, I'm just curious, how did that report to management go? Did they take your uh, argument more seriously than the, the folks that uh, that you had that job interview with years ago? Oh, no, no. I, I did not complain because uh, oh, I felt that what you. you had to say was probably correct that I thought about it. You know more. I appreciate that. Thank so, you. Let it, you gave yeah, us a, I mean, a mulligan on that one, Robert. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, your staffs make a mistake. So, yeah. well, I, I mean, if you want to report Tony and Elias, I mean, we would understand that. That's okay. I I give him a pass. There I mean, you go. Thank make, you. People make mistakes. That's all right. Man. Thank you. I got sorry it. about that, Frank. That's all right. It's all right. I'm glad I dodged a bullet there, Robert. What's on your mind, Robert? Oh, um, James Earl Ray was he a hunter? Did he ever have a hunting license? I uh, don't think so, uh, but I honestly don't know. I'd have to uh, I'd have to do a little research on that one. I don't think so. I've never yeah. none of the things that I've read this week on this um, have indicated that he was a hunter, but I, he could have been. I don't know. Okay, it's a good question because the rifle used to shoot Dr. King was a Remington 760 30-06, a very popular deer and big game rifle. Hmm. Well, it's a good point. I don't know, um, but it's worth looking into. Let's say he was a hunter, though. Do you think that makes it more likely that he committed the assassination as the lone gunman? It's possibly could have been the shooter. Whether he acted alone or not, that's another question. Right. Robert, thank you. Appreciate that. All right. 800-848-9222. You know what? I think I've decided that, you know how, remember I identified the caller um, uh, Rick from New Jersey as sounding like Jim Florentine. There's a guest that we've had on this show, uh, Ray McGovern, a former CIA analyst. And I think Robert sounds a little bit like Ray McGovern. Maybe, you know, because Robert calls often. Maybe for tomorrow, we'll get a sample of one of my interviews with Ray McGovern and compare it to Robert the next time he calls. Could this be, you know, Ray McGovern's a CIA guy. Could this be an alias of Ray McGovern? Could he actually be moonlighting as as Robert from Suffolk? It's possible. I don't put it past him. Hey, uh, Jim McCann is going to join me in a moment. We'll talk about some uh, positive things and ways for you to stay positive when it might seem like it's difficult to do so. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, we are more than two weeks into the new year. A couple of things mark that august moment. One, it is now officially too late to wish anybody a happy new year. The lone exception being if it is your first time seeing them in 2024. If that's the case, then I think you get another extender or a waiver for another week or so. But, I mean, why risk it? Why risk it? The other thing is now all of those New Year's resolutions that you made, whether it be to do yoga every day or to stop drinking or to stop smoking or to run three miles every day or to X, Y, Z, write in your journal five times a day, whatever the case may be. Now, some of those resolutions, which in many cases started off strong, they're kind of coming down to reality a little bit. So. I thought you could use a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of positivity for the new year and to give your resolutions a little bit of a boost. Who better than a resident positivity expert, entrepreneur, founder of 1-800-Flowers and Smile Farms, Jim McCann, a man who is also a published author, by the way, and even though the book that I just purchased is 26 years old, I am looking forward very much to reading it. Jim, it is great to have you. Welcome to uh, your first appearance of 2024. Let me check the rule book here. Yes, yes. Happy New Year, Frank. So I um we never talked about your history as an author. I've just ordered Stop and Sell the Roses. I think you've written a couple of books. Is that the best book to start with, Jim? I've done two with a third coming out. So yes, it's it's the first and it was fun to do and it built on the lessons I learned in the, my rather unusual career path. That is I really only had two two career type jobs. Frank, besides all the things we all did, you know, loading trucks, tending bottle, that kind of stuff. First was I worked in a home for teenage boys in Queens and uh, as a living counselor and then as an administrator of the home. So that was a wonderful, interesting and great career as a very, very young man. And then I accidentally got into the flower business. So I tell the story in that book about the lessons I learned living with 10 young men, not much younger than me, and all the things I learned about myself and about what we really want and need in our lives. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. That's uh, that's terrific, and uh, I look forward to the uh, forthcoming book as as well. When when that comes out, we'll ask you a little bit more about that. So uh, I mentioned the the controversy over what the cutoff is to say Happy New Year. What do you observe? What do you think is the kind of the point of no return in terms of when it's too late to say Happy New Year? I like I like your rule that it should be well into January, uh, but if you haven't seen anyone in a long time, why not? Look, if you're making a, a gesture to someone to express yourself, it's hard to make a mistake. Right. Well, um, so speaking of mistakes, uh, I have a lot of friends and my social media field uh, uh, feed is also filled with people who start with these New Year's resolutions. They all start off strong. And then now is when kind of the rubber meets the road. And a lot of these lofty resolutions that they have made, uh, they're starting to fall short of them a little bit. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people I know They don't make New Year's resolutions because they're concerned about setting themselves up for failure. What's your philosophy, Jim? Do you think the idea of New Year's resolutions are 
a good idea or bad idea, something in between? What do you think? I like them. I like them a lot, except that I'll agree with you. Uh, we, we write a newsletter every Sunday, uh, Frank, and this Sunday we focused uh, our newsletter. It's called The Celebrations Pulse. was on navigating the winter blues. And we point out in the in our newsletter that uh, January 12th is the average date where we fall short mm. of our uh, resolutions. But that's okay. You can make new resolutions. And what we talked about, and I've gotten a lot of feedback on, Frank, is this whole idea of winter blues. And just, just today around the uh, shop, a lot of conversations sparked up about it, things we're hearing from our community. We've gotten thousands of people who've written to us about our newsletter, what we recommended in it. And I think, uh, I think the thing that matters the most, well, what I do is when we're trying to figure out how to give good advice to our community about handling the winter blues, I reach out. I'm so lucky. I have a group of people we call the Connectivity Council. There's about a, a half a dozen of them that are the preeminent psychologists I've, I've come to know from around the country, around the world, in fact. And I reached out to three of them and said, give me your advice on what we can do, what we can recommend to folks who are experiencing the blues. And sometimes it gets a little work there. There are another 10 million people who, who say they're, they have seasonal affective disorder, that it really mm -hmm. does become kind of serious for them. So when I reached out to Dr. George Everly from Johns Hopkins, Dr. Chloe Carmichael, who's an eminent uh, therapist, and Dr. Joel Weinberger, who's a professor out at Adelphi and also a, a psychotherapist, the biggest thing I heard from the three of them was, it's all about attitude. I look at winter as being 10 weeks, you know, from just after uh, New Year's to the official end of winter, in my mind, St. Patrick's Day. And if you break it down into a 10-week period, it is, in fact, a season like no other. It's a, it's a little darker. If you're in the uh, north, northeast, midwest, it's cool, it's cold, it's wintry. And it, and it can have a, a, a tough effect on a lot of people. But what I heard from my three psychologist friends are, if you just frame it differently, if you just adjust your attitude, you can make it special. And now we're down to eight weeks. And, and our, my recommendation would be make this a special eight weeks. Embrace it. It's a season like no other. Yes, we, football ends <laughs> in the middle of it, mid-February with the Super Bowl. Yes, we have Valentine sensitive to that. But then we have March Madness at the end of it. We have college hoops throughout. And if we can say, we're going to make this time different. And I always like to make lists. And whether it's resolutions or it's a list of things you're going to do to make this 10-week or now this 8-week period special, meaningful, and positive for me, what am I going to do physically? What am I going to do mentally? Physically, well, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot. And what I, you were talking about in your opening there about balance, I, our recommendation we had from one of our psychologist friends, Chloe, was take, give yourself five get-out-of-jail cards. So if you <laughs> screw, up, screw up, go physically to your desktop or your dresser top and take one of the cards and put it in the basket. So you have five times you can just blow it, you can go off, and you're still on your plan. So what you can do I is love especially, that. especially walk. Uh, my, uh, my wife is a walker. That's her exercise. She loves to do it. And she has different walking groups, whoever we are. And they, it's social. They go and they walk, they talk, they have coffee. It's create a group. Be the organizer. Mental, give me one book I'm going to read. And my book that I recommend right now, I, I got a chance last month to spend uh, – a little over an hour with David Brooks, who has a terrific book out now oh, sure. about getting to know, getting to know people in your life, really getting to know someone. 
and I, I was, I, I'm a fan of his, and I was just intrigued by the book. And there's so many good lessons in there. So find one book that you're going to read in, the, in this eight weeks that'll make a difference. Uh, pick out one new podcast. Go to wabc.com and go to Frank Morano's podcast. And when you're on that walk, <laughs> listen to what you have to say, Frank. You have a lot of really great, helpful tips. And maybe pick out a, a, two old movies that you used to love and watch and Make sure it's not The Godfather because <laughs> it'll get you in a different frame of mind. <laughs> what are you going to do socially? Uh, George, uh, George Evely recommends from a social point of view that we make three lists of our social contacts. People we have relationships now that we want to invest in. People, maybe 10 people we've had lapsed relationships. Pick two or three that you want to renew that relationship and you're going to be deliberate about it. And then pick out a, a, a person or two that you'd like to have a relationship and you don't but you're going to invest and try and develop a relationship with that person. And I have a new app that, uh, uh, that I've only been using for a week called the birthday app. And it, I, I just load up my, uh, let it have access to my contacts and it fills in all my contacts birthdays. And just this week, I've had two terrific conversations with people I've had lapsed contact with, but I saw it was their birthday. I reached out and just sent them an email wishing them a happy birthday. And that sparked a, uh, a return email and a call. And we've had wonderful conversations. So I think if you just take your list of things you want to do, physically, mentally, socially, maybe it's on your list, you're going to say, on my cleanup list, I'm going to clean up one closet. I'm going to clean out one drawer. And I'm going to organize my desk during these eight weeks. And what I say, you suggest we all do write down our plan, journal it, keep score. And when I, when I worked in that group home with, uh, with uh, 10 young guys, mm -hmm. the most important thing I learned was set goals, keep score along the way, and make it fun. And then create crazy fun rewards when you finally achieve something special. So do that for yourself. Plan what you're going to do. Make your plans of what you're going to do when the winter passes. Social things you're going to do in spring. Make lists of the people you want to connect with in the spring. You want to get together within the summer, surround yourself with things that remind you of spring. My son runs our plant business. My son's name is James, and he runs our plants business. And he brought over to his mother this weekend a hyacinth plant, which is really fragrant, and you see it in the garden in the spring. But when I walk into the house the last two nights, boom, the, the, uh, the adjustment in my mind, just from the sniff of hyacinth, I think spring. So those are some of the tricks that our psychologists, our friends, and our community I love that. have made to us. And, and I'm, I'm so happy to pass it on to our newsletter this past Sunday. And, and we have so many more good ideas for this coming Sunday. Well, I think that's outstanding. Uh, we've been talking with Jim McCann. He's the founder of uh, 1-800-Flowers. You know, Jim, I was going to – I mentioned this the uh, last week. There was an article, I think it was in the New York Times, that a lot of people say that e even though the reputation of January and winter in general is the winter blues and seasonal affective disorder, a lot of people find that January can be a little bit of a relief because you don't have all of the barrage of social obligations obligations that you do in December and February, where it seems like your calendar is filled all the time, especially in December. But then it does become the question of 
how do you not get lonely? How do you still maintain those social connections? I, I think you've outlined a uh, a pretty good playbook here, and I uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that David Brooks book because I've been following David Brooks since he was with uh, AEI, and uh, that book, the, the one that you refer to, is uh, on my list as well. I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to to doing it. Hey, uh, it seems like there's a lot of really helpful tips in this newsletter. If people want to sign up for that newsletter, how do they do that? So they can come to uh, com and just click on Celebrations Pulse, and there's a place you can sign up for it there. Frank, I, I saw that article in the Times this Sunday. I thought it was terrific. And it just screamed to me what my psychologist friend said to me, which is uh, it's all about your attitude. And that's mm. what that piece of Times said. If you say, yes, it's different, yes, it's going to be dark alone, but I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to make it special, and I'm going to make it mine, and I'm going to make it healthy. Uh, then uh, then I, I think we have a real chance of changing things. So if you want to sign up for that newsletter, and by the way, uh, Celebrations Pulse at 1-800-Flowers.com is the way to do it, Celebrations Pulse. And we just passed 10 million subscribers. We're wow. getting as popular as Frank Marano's Other Side of Midnight. Well, I, I love partnering with you. One of my great highlights of uh, last year was uh, getting to know you a bit. And uh, if you're kind enough to continue to come on with us from time to time in 2024, that uh, that will make my new year a, a great one. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you. Uh, you make my evenings more special. And so it's always a treat to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you, Jim McCann. Uh, check him out, 1-800-Flowers.com. And uh, I'm going to sign up for that newsletter. I uh, had thought that I already was, but I just checked my my settings and I was not. So Celebrations Pulse, I have just signed up for the newsletter. Hopefully you will too. Hey, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're certainly welcome to. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Best aspect of what Jim recommended is make sure you're caught up on the other side of midnight podcast and all the Frank Morano podcasts. That's a good one. We'll continue straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Birthday bumper music selection from an old friend of mine. Um, when I knew her, uh, she was uh, Jessica Carter, uh, but now she uses her married name, Jessica Dunning, and today's her birthday, and uh, she is doing great. 
living in Florida now, like a lot of former New Yorkers, and uh, today's her birthday, and uh, she is, uh, you know, wonderful person, a beautiful person inside and out, and uh, by giving her shout-out on the radio, I can avoid having to send some flowers from 1-800-Flowers.com, which I normally would have done had I not had this radio show to give her a shout-out. So, there's that. All right. I'm uh, going to get to your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. I had an interesting day yesterday. You know, today, I mean, yesterday, rather, w- was the big day because I had explained how my driver's seat in our car that I share with my wife would no longer recline. I couldn't adjust it. So it was stuck in a propped back position. Now, how do you drive around when you can't drive around lying down? So we took it into the dealership maybe about four months ago. They fixed it. They had kept it for a day, gave us a loaner for a day, and the whole thing was very inconvenient. They fixed it and were able to prop it back up, but they said it's missing a part. You can't move it. It has to stay in this position. So for the last four months, we've been unable to adjust this this driver's side, this driver's seat. Not not the biggest deal in the world, but it is mildly inconvenient. So we finally get the word. After three or four months, we finally get the word that this missing part to fix our car seat is in. So we make an appointment to bring it in yesterday. Now my wife needed to take my son to school. So we scheduled the appointment to be after he's dropped off at school. But we were not confident that we were going to be able to have the car back by one o'clock the time that he needed to be picked up from school. So my mom was kind enough to lend us her car for the day in case we needed to pick him up in that car. So the night before we go to pick up her car, bring that to our house. We then, I get up, which is the middle of the night for me. 9 a.m. is very much the middle of the night for me. And I take the car to the dealership. They're waiting for me. Everybody's very nice there. And what I did like is they sent me an e-hail vehicle home. I think it was a Lyft. That e-hail ride, which was about 20 minutes from the dealership to my house, was one of the two real highlights of my day today. It was so relaxing. It's so nice not to, to just be able to chill out and sit in the back seat, not have to worry about driving, maybe rest your eyes a little bit, listen to the radio. And they drop me off. I go back to sleep. I wake up, and it turned out my son didn't end up going to school today because he was under the weather. But I wake up. We get the word. The car is ready. So they said, would you like us to send an Uber for you? Yes, please. They Uber me back to the dealership. This is the next greatest highlight of my day. I slept the whole ride there. Very relaxing ride. Those were the best aspects of my day, the Uber rides back and forth to the car dealership. I pick the car up. They say it's fixed. The guy shows me that the chair reclines now. I try it myself. The chair goes up. The chair goes down. Great. I get home. My uh, wife and son greet me in the window when I get home. My wife says, "Uh, wait a minute. I thought you were picking up salt for the sidewalk. There's still salt on the sidewalk. Oh, okay. I'll go out and do it now. Go out, go to the grocery store, supermarket. They're out of rock salt. Okay. 
Find another store. Go to the super the uh, a drugstore across the street. They're out of the really good rock salt. I have to take just kind of whatever they have left. I buy two or three bags. Great. I'm going to do the right thing here before I go back to sleep for a little while. Actually, I, no, I wasn't going back to sleep. I was staying up to work on the show. I put one bag away. I take one bag out. I start sprinkling salt all over the sidewalk, all over our walkway. Put the salt away. Go inside. Wash my hands. My wife says, you hardly put any salt anywhere. I said, really? I mean, I think I did a pretty good job salting. She said, no, 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 no. I'll just do it. I'll go outside with Carmine and I'll just do it. And you know that's never a good scenario when it's the I'll just do it. No, okay. I uh, will go back outside and uh, I go and re-salt everything. There's so much salt on this, it would have given the sidewalk a heart attack. So I salt everything. Apparently to my wife's satisfaction. Okay, boom, 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 boom. Do a couple of things at home, prepare for the show a little bit. We decide to return the car that we had borrowed from my mother to her house. She's going to drive one car. I'm going to drive the other. But there's ice all over my mother's car. Let's defrost it and let's scrape the ice off the car. Okay, great. So we start doing that. And we de-ice it, and the back is de-iced, no problem. She says, turn on the defrost. Defrost is on. Well, the front's not defrosting. I don't know what to tell you. It's not defrosting. I don't know. Let's just scrape it. And she says, oh, let me look. She goes and look. I don't know. And says to me, I don't know why I even bother asking you to do anything. Well, what do you mean? It's on. It was on. You had it on low. All right. Sorry. So we finally get it de-iced. My wife gets into the driver's side of our car. And she says, sweetheart, did you have them show you that it worked? Yes. The seat was not working. Again, brand new piece on this thing. Sleep disrupted. Two Uber rides. The car seat is again stuck in the same position. She did get it to work later, but we agreed not to try to move it anymore. So it was someday. But those Uber rides were something. Until next hour, your influence counts. Use it. 